And let us now join together in the litany of invitation and confession. We have been called away from that which is mundane. We have been called together to worship God. We bring our frustrations and our fears, our grief and our heartaches. We ask God to raise us by hearing our laments and listening to our longings. With hungering hearts, we desire to experience God. We confess our sins. We know that these have impeded relationships. We have lived smaller lives than God intended. We ask God to forgive us. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. God is generous in love and full of grace. Let us live lives as large as the love of God. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God on this very cold day. If you ever wondered who would be attending worship when it was 18 degrees in Atlanta, uh, they are you. And these, this faithful choir. So welcome, especially do we welcome those guests that are among us on this cold day as we gather as God's people to celebrate God's presence among us. There is on the edge of your order of service uh, a response card, a welcome card. If you're a guest, you could complete that, drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect a name and face for you. Also, if any of you have a prayer request, feel free to place that on the card also and drop it in the offering plate. It's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. So welcome. Uh, On this day, we have the three scriptures that we'll be reading. The last will be the gospel lesson. That's what I'll be preaching from. It is the story of Philip who goes to tell Nathaniel about meeting Jesus. 
Nathaniel is uh, curious and even prejudiced, but then goes and follows and he comes and sees. That's what I'm going to be preaching about on quests and questions. The second lesson will be from a psalm. It is a misprint in your order of service. It's from Psalm 139. And if you follow along in the Bible, it's page 577. And then the first lesson you're about to hear. It's the story of little Samuel as a boy whom God is calling once, twice, three times. And then finally, he says, as instructed, here I am. That is going to be echoed when the choir sings the offertory later. Here I am. Here we are, and as we do, we listen to God with open hearts and open ears and open minds. Welcome. In this first lesson, we hear how Samuel learns that it is the Lord who is calling to him. Three times the boy Samuel misunderstands and thinks that it is his mentor Eli summoning him during the night. Finally, Eli realizes it must be the Lord and tells Samuel to be ready for the prophetic word which will be spoken to him. A reading from the book of Samuel. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. Comforting God, you are abounding in love. We come to you this morning with our joys and sorrows. With heavy hearts, remember the people of California. Our hearts are with those who have lost their homes and their loved ones. We pray for your comfort to be present. For those in and from West Africa, El Salvador, and Haiti, whose sense of pride has been damaged this week, we pray. We remember that everything you have made 
and continue to make is good, including the people and landscapes of those countries. And for each of us gathered here this morning, we pray that you open our hearts and eyes to your presence around us. And let it begin as we pray the, pray the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, and power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Inescapable God, a reading from Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Here ends the second lesson. Shall I? I tread carefully. And children, tread quickly and come forward for the children's sermon. Jeffrey will take your offering.
Nathaniel hears Jesus and follows into discipleship. A reading from the Gospel according to John. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Some people call the Bible an answer book, but it's not. I believe the Bible is more of a question book than an answer book. It's where the conversation begins, not where the conversation ends. When you think about it, there are a lot of questions in the Bible. It's shot through with questions. Like on the, front, on the first page, you have God asking the question, Adam, where are you? On the second page, you have uh, Cain, one of the sons of Adam, saying, Am I my brother's keeper? On the middle of the Bible, you have the psalmists saying, How long, O O God, will you let the evil prosper and the righteous suffer? And then you even have Jesus hanging on the cross asking a question. My God, my God, why? The Bible, I don't think, is an answer book as much as it is a question book with few answers but with a lot of stories. Have you heard the saying, ask a rabbi a question and you won't get an answer? What you'll get is a story. Well, I believe that the writer John of this fourth gospel, the one we just heard read, I believe he must have been a uh, rabbinical pastor. As in, I think the congregation must have asked him questions all the time. I know what that's like. Asking, getting asked questions all the time, but he doesn't do answers. What he does do are stories. And what we have today is one of those stories. I think it must be an answer to the question, what does it mean to believe in God? This time of year, the first of the year, is a time for questions, isn't it? We ask a lot. And we are asked a lot, like, what are your goals and objectives? What is your quota that you're going to try to meet? Does this make me look fat? We ask ourselves questions this time of year. Have I signed up for the annual all year long uh, at the fitness center contract? We, all those are fine questions, but they're not big enough for the question that we bring to this room. What does it mean to believe in God? They must have asked the pastor, John, and he responds by telling all these stories, and this one in particular. Two things, I think, that I see in the response. The first thing is that believing in God is not believing or learning a creed. It's about walking a Camino. Not a creed, but a Camino. And of course, it wouldn't surprise you to hear me say Camino, because that was one of the life-changing events in my life. 
to walk the Camino de Santiago, uh, now nearly six years ago, to walk across northern Spain, where for over a thousand years there have been Christian pilgrims. You know that the Spanish word Camino in English simply means the way. The book of the Gospel of John is all about the way. In fact, one time Thomas asked Jesus, how, how can we know the way? And did Jesus really give an answer? Or did he say, well, I am the way. The Camino, not a creed. In other words, believing in Jesus is not about doctrines to understand. It's not about a bunch of beliefs that you have to get right. And it's certainly not a moral code that you have to achieve. Believing in Jesus, according to John, is being on a discovery journey with Jesus. Or said another way, it's hanging out with the holy. That'd be a good song, wouldn't it? Hanging out with the holy and paying attention as we do. The way the text says it more succinctly is, come and see. Come and see. Jesus has already said that once in John chapter 1. We didn't read it this morning, but the first red letters out of Jesus' mouth in John are about that. He's walking along, two others pass him, turn around and follow him, and Jesus turns around and the first red letters are, what do you want? That's right out of the Greek. I mean, look it up. What do you want? Uh, what are you looking for, technically? They say, well, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? And Jesus says, come and see. Whatever this thing about believing in God is, it's about what our seventh grade teachers tried to teach us that we learn by doing. Practicum required. The lab is not optional. Whether you teach geography or theology, how is it that we teachers learn the topics? When did you really learn the subject you were teaching? My hunch is the answer is when you were teaching it. Nothing creates a learner like a job as a teacher, right? That's when we learn things. Years ago, Liz and I learned something. We were still living in Louisiana. I was working in Alexandria, Louisiana. And this weekend came along, as in the Martin Luther King weekend and Monday holiday. There was going to be an MLK march in downtown uh, Alexandria. And so we said, well, count us in. We'll be there. Because we were clergy, we were up near the front, ready to lead the parade. And there were Baptists everywhere. But we were the only two white Baptists. There are a few Episcopalians and some Catholics and others, but we were the only white Baptists there, and uh, it was one of those come-and-see moments. We walked along, we chanted, we sang the songs, and it was one of those times that I saw something that I hadn't seen before. I guess you would call it the the white man frown. A people that I knew that I worked with at the hospital, standing along the side, some carpenters and builders standing up on the roof holding hammers. 
And as we walked along, I saw these with arms crossed and furrowed brows, frown on their face and lip poked out, looking at us. That's the first time I remember seeing the white man frown. And suddenly I realized I'm learning something that I may have seen, but I hadn't seen before. It's like that allegorical book that all of us have read, The Little Prince, you know, where the wise fox says to the young man, one sees clearly only with the heart. The essential, he says, is invisible to the eye. Come and see. Not just see, but see. That was the invitation. Come and see is what Philip says to Nathaniel. He's starting to talk like Jesus. We don't know anything about Nathaniel, really. The other Gospels call him Bartholomew, and the word Nathaniel is not uh, among them. He may have been minding his own business, may have been sitting under a fig tree. His friend named Philip runs up and says, You got to meet this guy. We met a guy named Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's the one we've been waiting for. Come and see. Well, Nathaniel reluctantly does so. But when he meets Jesus, his reluctance goes away. I guess it's he knows that he's the one. It's not only has he, is he seen, but he knows that he has been seen. That this Jesus seems to see right through him, know something about him. Well, again, believing is not a creed of assumptions. It's a camino, a journey with Jesus. I don't know what that looks like for you, but for me, it takes some action steps every day to remind myself of that camino. For instance, of praying about loving and learning, to pray every morning along with the serenity prayer, God, let my heart be porous and learn today. God, let me let the love in. One of the last things my best friend uh, Chris Graham said five years ago when he died was, James, let, let the love in. To believe is not to follow a creed. To believe is to walk the Camino with Christ. That's one thing. Here's the second thing. Believing can be expensive. It can cost us our prejudice. Prejudice is a comforting thing, really, isn't it? I mean, we divide the world into two parts, right? There's us, but then there's them. There's the worthy, and there's the unworthy, the better than and the worse off. It's, it's comforting to see the wor- world through dualism. But this is what got confronted in, in uh, Nathaniel, and thus he is our stunt double. He leads with his prejudice. Philip shows up and says, we found this guy. He's the one. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? He does that white man stare, arms crossed, lip poked out, frowning, and says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Condescending down all the way. Can any good thing? Now, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think that Nathaniel had against Nazareth? We don't know. It appears that Bethsaida, 
was at the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. But not that many miles away is Nazareth, who's sort of on the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's not that much of a distance. Maybe, maybe there was some interchange. Maybe they knew some people. I've hypothesized, given the week we've uh, lived with, uh, that they had a football rivalry. Uh, just a guess on my part. I can imagine the Jewish chicken soup Chick-fil-A ad. You know, they interview someone and she says, Now when you live around Galilee, you don't ask people where they're from. You ask them who they're for. Maybe it was that. Too, too soon, by the way? Too soon? No, sorry. I pulled a book off my shelf as I was working on this sermon. It was written by a pastor, uh, Gaston Foote, Methodist pastor. Used to pastor in Montgomery, Alabama back in the early 50s and then pastored First Methodist Church, Fort Worth, Texas in the latter 50s. He wrote a book called The Transformation of the Twelve, all these chapters on biographies of the disciples. So I pulled out Nathaniel to see what he had to say, and he said, we don't know anything about Nathaniel except that he was prejudiced when Jesus called him. And then the rest of the chapter, and this was from the latter 50s, is about race and immigration. Go figure. It sounds like the epitaph of 2017. He preached about it then. It'll cost you something, this following Jesus on the way. It might cost you your prejudice. 2002, I was invited to address some of my prejudices. I was invited to come and see. I went with the World Pilgrims uh, on the journey to Turkey. Ken Brandt went as well. Jan Swanson, other people that you know. We got on a bus in Turkey for 10 days, rode around Turkey together, sat by Jews, Christians, Muslims, and told our stories. We may have come with our theology in hand. We may have come with our theological questions that we needed answers, and we didn't get answers. What we got was stories. We would sit by a Muslim brother and share pictures of grandkids. We would sit by Jewish friends and tell traditions and stories and songs that mean a lot to our families and to our hearts. And because we were in relationship and friendship along the way, we had our prejudices addressed, and we came back not uh, with as much prejudice but with more partners. Liz, my wife, has been on a pilgrimage as well. And this coming month in February, Missy Lester, Melissa, from our own congregation, is going with world pilgrims, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, to Cuba for over a week. You can learn something when you are with people that are different, that you find what you have in common. Believing in God can be expensive, it can cost us our prejudice. Nathaniel could have said, no, I'm not coming. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. But his cynical cul-de-sac was let go. Somehow the potential he heard in Philip's voice was greater than the prejudice 
that he felt in his own life. Come and see, was the invitation, and he did. I don't know, maybe, maybe that morning, Nathaniel was drinking from a fountain, and he could see his own reflection, and he wondered, what am I going to do with my life? Maybe it came at the end of a work day. He was tired and finished and wondered, have I really accomplished anything? Maybe it was in the dark of night, and as often the, uh, the things that plague our soul kind of do like uh, the song, they're going to wait till the midnight hour. Thank you, Mr. Wilson Pickett. And the dawn's early light is a long way away with our insomnia. Maybe it was this, or maybe it was his relationship with Philip. I don't know, Philip. Nothing can good can come out of Nazareth, but I'll take the risk because of you. And off he goes. Believing is costly, but he found life. He found life following Jesus. He found life in ministry as an apostle, but also eventually it cost him his life. Truth and disclosure here. You think about it, all the disciples were martyred. That kind of begs the question in all the books that we see about Jesus as successful CEO. When all of those who were with him ended up with a martyr's death, except maybe John, who ended up in exile on the island of Patmos. According to tradition, you know that Peter was crucified upside down. You know that St. James was killed by the sword. And St. Nathaniel, um, might want to do this, was skinned. The symbol of, of St. Nathaniel are three fillet knives. I didn't know it till I looked up the picture of Michelangelo's image of Nathaniel in the Sistine Chapel in the Last Judgment uh, 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 picture. And there is St. Nathaniel holding the knife in one hand and holding his skin like an old garment in the other. And the bedraggled face on the skin, some art historians say, is a self-portrait of Michelangelo. It's a reminder that we who are in the church business, who want to feel that our churches are successful, that we who want our church to look popular, and that some will preach a prosperity gospel to do so, and some will agree to be cultural placeholders to do it, But that's not really the call. The call that came to young Samuel or to Philip or to Nathaniel. The gospel's call is not to be a curator of culture, but to be a catalyst for justice. Yeast in the dough, light of the world. To carry your own lantern means that you never have to fear the darkness. For me, the fuel for the lantern is you the people of God. The wick is my life and our lives in the world, and the spark is the Holy Spirit igniting the flame. Ask a rabbi a question, and you won't get an answer. You'll get a story, but it's a big story. It catches up Nathaniel and Philip and you.
and me. Thanks be to God. Amen. It is the tradition of our church that whenever a word is spoken, an invitation to dedication is given. And we sing a hymn that tries to express our hearts. On this day, as we think about how God may be at work speaking to us, we may be a parent with young kids that we're trying to figure out how to rear. Could be we're professionals trying to figure out how to do the job. It could be that we're between things in life is at a plateau. At whatever point, we try to open our hearts and listen, and listen to God's voice. That's what the hymn is about. Let's stand together and sing. each time we gather, we bring our concerns with us in our celebrations and announcements, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. Please mark your calendars for January 28th. It is our Super Bowl, and you may volunteer to make soup or volunteer by getting in touch with our own Mona Steins. Sunday, February 25th, 
Mark your calendars. That will be Louise Davis Day. Be looking for more announcements and information about that, but we'll have uh, many a word said for Louise, who is here with us this morning. And I'll be praying about that day for you, Louise, coming soon. Mark it, February 25th. And our prayers are with, uh, as Jeffrey mentioned in his morning prayer, the citizens of California, especially those who have been impacted by the mudslides that have killed, uh, by my count, 17, what I heard this morning. Many homes have been destroyed. We'll be praying for those communities there. For unrest and fear in our land over the, the threat of nuclear war, we pray, as we do every week, for peace. And in our own community, I bring you some concerns. Uh, I mentioned last week about uh, Barney Moore. James and I uh, visited Barney this week, and I, I learned this morning he's been discharged from Grady. So uh, good news about that, and continue to pray for uh, Barney, Angie, and his family. For Betsy Walker, she was discharged from Piedmont, transferred to a long-term acute care facility called Select, which is in downtown Atlanta, and be praying for Betsy. Martha Melton, um, some of you may remember Roy and Julie Bell Melton, uh, the mother of Roy Melton, who is uh, Roy married to Julie Bell, daughter of John and Janet Bell. So Roy's mother has been hospitalized uh, with several medical concerns. We ask that you pray for her and for the Bell Melton family. Some of you may know that Jackie Poole's brother, Frank Collins, has been uh, ill in Emory, and I'm sad to report that he died on Friday. Uh, Jackie asked that we pray for her, for her family, and it will take several days to determine uh, the arrangements for Frank. We lift all of these up in our concerns and our prayers to God as we continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings by this contemporary hymn, Here I Am, Lord, by Daniel Shute, drawing upon Samuel, 1 Samuel and other texts. Here I am, Lord. Let us continue our worship.
Loving God, we come in prayer with grateful hearts. We own the tension that we feel that it's been 50 years since our brother Baptist Martin was gunned down. And the beloved community seems so still in its infancy. May we not grow weary in well-doing. May your love and grace keep inviting us to journey with you. And so with grateful hearts, we are on the march, we are in the dance, and we're grateful for love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
And can you sing that without swaying? And so, as we prepare to go on this weekend of memory, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.